Welcome to Future Spectives, the Locarno Film Festival podcast presented by UBS. I'm your host, Gabby Sanderson, and I'm here to talk with international film stars, upcoming talent, and industry game changers. Over the Future Perspective series, you will discover secret stories and inspiring perspectives on the future of cinema, culture, and society. So let's begin. This is Future Perspectives. Go on, Gabby, let's do it. All right. Welcome, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, to Future Spectives. Oh, Future Spectives. Yes, the Locarno Film Festival podcast. Uh, we are sitting down here in the stunning Locarno. We Have are. you been before? No, I haven't. It's my first time, actually. And um, no, it's spectacular. I wish I could stay longer because it is beautiful here. I mean, the landscape is just gorgeous. It's absolutely spectacular. Congratulations on receiving the prestigious Davide Campari Excellence Award, okay. uh, which honours artistic personalities whose contributions have made a mark on contemporary cinema. I watched you um, do your speech mm. and like I know you're an actor and I know you also do the stage as well as the screen, but being mm. on the Piazza Grande in front of 8,000 people, yeah. did you shit your pants? It's pretty daunting. <laughs> it's pretty daunting. I'm not going to lie. It's very overwhelming. And that, you know, yeah, I, that is always a misconception, I believe, with people. They go, oh, well, you're an actor. You must be able to be feel comfortable up on mm. stage and, you know, or, you know, public speaking or speeches. Now, mm. that's a completely different thing. And I agree. Like, and also it's like, you know what it is? It's being comfortable in, um, in who you are. And, and I think that's, I can be like that when I'm around people I know. But, you know, mm. when you're out in public, it's, it's a different thing altogether. I tend to feel more comfortable uh behind a mask some sort of character I, that's where yeah. i feel better you know where i can then be in those character's shoes and uh and and saying what i think that character could say yeah being uh under that kind of extreme spotlight is uh, is daunting so yeah so i had to um i'd written a little uh, speech for last night because uh, you know i it's uh it's, it was it a really scary. sweet speech. I especially liked when you acknowledged, I know you were doting dad, but you said you're a dad first and then it's the side hustle is the acting, really. Right. They're a little older now, but for the first 10, 12 years of their life, I was just, um, you know, I was doing one thing a year. I, I, I really slowed down and I really want to be present as a father. And, I, and I, it's really my, you know, my real joy and, and, and love and seeing them uh, just grow and everyday stuff so you know I was really being particular about what I did and and, and, uh, mm -hmm. and in my choices and that that one thing had to be you know had to be really meaningful so you know I was working three months a year and in fact one job I did the wall with Doug Lyman that was 14 days and that was the job I did that year so <laughs> that's <laughs> goals right there you Obviously know I, a lot of prep yeah. before though right? yeah. <laughs> exactly there's prep but you know so so yeah at some point and yeah my and my wife you know she's a filmmaker and mm -hmm. an artist so you know is we always do this sort of balance of one on one off and I feel like the father and then you know the acting sort of part time so um, yeah but you know I, like I said last night I think there's a new shift I think you know it's it's I'm opening 
new doors and trying to venture out a little bit, be a bit more spontaneous, do maybe more than one thing a year. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe as push my it agent, to two. My agents tell me I'm supposed to do more, you see. So, and I was like, mm, all right. They're like three a year. I'm like, mm, maybe two. Uh, yeah, two, two and maybe, a half. Maybe a cameo somewhere. You know, exactly. Um, going back to what you said before about you feel more comfortable when you're um, stepping into a character versus being in front of loads of people as yourself. Right. You started performing at six years old. Right. So that's kind of in a way, correct me if I'm wrong, all you've ever known is to like take on these different personalities and characters. But as a kid mm. and then as an adolescent, this is the formative years where in terms of your own identity, did sometimes that get a bit confusing when you were like a, a childhood actor? Um, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there's always these different characters I could blend in. I mean, I'm a Gemini, so there is this sort of split side, you know. Um, and I feel like that in my life. There was a duality, right? I grew up in a very um, adult world, right? I didn't know it then, you know, as a kid. I think, in hindsight, I think, you know, I was exposed to far too much as a child. Um, and, and I had to take on different responsibilities, you know. I took on a, a bigger responsibility in, in my personal life as well. So the first love and draw and passion for me was acting and it became escapism for me it became my therapy it was very mm. cathartic because it was the way I could escape um what I was you know going through in life and I think you know that always happens you always sort of end up sort of sometimes art imitates life and sometimes you don't know it yet until you sort of look back and go oh that was interesting so I was going through that and my character was this right and and I think sometimes that is sometimes part of your journey when you, mm. you when you're picking and choosing things on your intuition and instinct are there certain roles that you've played that you can look back on now and think that maybe helped influence who I am today yeah I think definitely I mean you know I think um, you're constantly drawing upon certain patterns that you've 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 picked up through through life. So yeah, of course. Mm. I mean, because I never went to a drama school. Did you not? No, I didn't so know that. I went to like a, a you know like a child sort of drama and dance thing on a mm. Thursday night, um, which is you know where it all kicked off inside. But when I talk about a drama school, when I think about like a, a prestigious drama school, I'm talking about like you know. Uh, like Rada or mm -hmm. Guildhall or mm. something like that, you know, Lambda or one of those. Yeah, Mount View. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I always wanted to go to Rada. I thought that would be my path. I thought I'm going to be able to, you know, this, uh, you know, I, I did terrible in school. I was barely at school. Um, I left when I was 15. I wanted to go to Rada then, you know, like it was just like the doors aren't even remotely open until you're 18. And even then you might need to go off and do a gap year. And, you know, we don't take students without any life experience. And I thought, well, I've got shitloads of life experience. You right. know, I've got loads of that, you know, because I, I think my first film was when I was 10. Right. And, uh, and my mother was, which uh, became my chaperone. And, you know, that was her predominant sort of job at the time as well then because we went on the road together. And so... I'd explored so much more than any child my age. Europe and Africa and Morocco and America. And, mm. and I'd been in and out of situations where, you know, where a, a director is looking at this 10-year-old and saying, what, how do you feel in this moment? How do you think you should do this scene? And, uh, and, and, and your opinion was, um, was valid, right? So you had this, I grew, I had a maturity about me, which mm. was not like other children my age, because mm. I'd been treated like an adult. And then going back to school in the little town outside of the city, you know, in the suburbs, 
you'd speak up in class and you'd you'd bring too much attention on yourself. Be a bit of a fish out of water, surely. Yeah, I got in trouble all the time. So I wasn't there at school much, and when I was at school, I was constantly being told to get, you know, I was getting kicked out of school. Like, I I just didn't fit in there, you know. I connected with my mates uh, as a kid, but I was already way in a different world, you know, Mm. and I had passions. Mm. And as well, like, I'd imagine traveling so much and, and experiencing many different cultures from a young age, like, that's surely helped you on your career trajectory as well right in terms of observing people and life and yeah absolutely I mean you're making big bold decisions right so mm-hmm. I told the story earlier it was when I was 10 you know I thought I was going to be a gymnast I was in this gymnastics squad and it was the first time I got a movie right I was the lead in the movie it's called Tom and Thomas it was directed by Esme Lam as a Dutch um, female director and um it was that moment I remember my mother sort of saying I mean you know like this might be the, you know, when are you ever going to get the opportunity to be in a movie again? Like, you know, this might be it, you know, you want to, you know, if you love it, you know, you should go for it. And um, by that point, I'd done so many auditions. I mean, this is a process I went through. I went and really fought for this role and then I got it and it was, you know, a life-changing moment for me and a decision mm-hmm. that I had to make. And then you got better at that, right? So mm-hmm. I did that movie and then I did another thing. I did some TV and I did some rubbish and I did some crap and I did some commercials and I did some good things and I did some bad things. And you start to realise what it is you do and don't like and you start to realise when your instincts and your gut's telling you no yeah. and you do it anyway and you go, okay, that was a bad decision. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm a creator artistic person in my uh, approach when it comes to work so does that decision making make its way into my personal life yeah absolutely it's mm-hmm. the thing that makes me know that I'm in control of my own feelings and intuitions I manifest my own kind of uh, work and things like that because like the intentions and those passions and dreams that you put in out there right do really mm-hmm. come back strong mm-hmm. It's like how I knew, you know, the woman I wanted to marry, that was that was the woman I wanted to marry, and I knew that I wanted kids, and I knew yeah. exactly. And, and, and you I know, and people shock. Story as well, but people get way. shocked by that, right? Because for the most part, it's really just mainly a projection of other people's insecurities or fears or things that they kind of go. It's almost like F you for knowing earlier on in your life because most people still can't figure it out. Do you know what I'm saying? I absolutely know what you're saying. My life has always been like that. People Mm. always have an opinion and a judgment on what I do. But I'm happy to make some fucking mistakes along the way and and trip up here and there because it's how I grow and I learn. I have intention and I have choices and I have decision making that's bold and, and, and it but it has to feel true to me. Yeah. And and that's and that's what everyone wants to do is just kinda go on that beat of their own drum. But like most people just follow they, could ju- they just stick to what the crowd do, and, and I never did that. I no. stood outside of the box, and um, and for the most part, people think you're a fool and an idiot for, for, for most of it, and until you you hit something and you succeed, and then they go, oh, I want to be like that, or I want to do what that person's doing. And you're like, well, great, but you've got to, like, you know, you've got to step out of your comfort zone a little bit. Yeah, I can see that in the sort of characters that you play. And in terms of your gut, where are you going to go in the future? Have you got some intuition in terms of where you want to take your career next? You know, there's a little bit that you leave up to to fate. Who the hell wants to have their path already laid out for them? I don't. Just stay in the world where you're like, I love this. This feels true to me right now in this moment. That's what I want to do. Bullet Train came along and I went, that's the story I want to be in. I want to be in that, Mm. right? And David Leach, for instance, right, was someone who who met me previously on um, 
a few years back, right? He asked me to be in Deadpool 2, a character in Deadpool 2. Right. And I said, that's really nice, but no, I'm not going to play this character, right? There's nothing, there was nothing in it that I felt, you know, and, and I'm pretty honest and frank about things, you know. It's, and I said, I want to work with you, but this is, I'm not going to do this. Went, oh, okay, you know. And then Bullet Train came around. This is a hot script right now. I mean, it's David Leeds, it's Brad Pitt. Mm. There's so many characters in it. And I read the script and I was like, this is what I want to be on. And I, I, you know, reached out to, you know, through your team to David Leach, and and he said, "Hey, listen, remember, remember working with me?" He said, "Yeah, yeah, I remember you. You know, like yeah. I, I want to work with you." I'm like, "Great, great. What about this character, Tangent?" Yeah, he's you're like, like dude, "I'm having this part." Yeah, and he's like, "Dude, get in line. Like <laughs> oh, everybody wow. in town wants this thing, right?" Oh, I'm he's like, giving you the sass. Yeah, so I go, <laughs> "Cool, no problem, right?" It instantly brings me down to like, you know. The ego goes out the window. You get humiliated and you're humbled. For the most part, I'm I'm pretty grounded. And my family keep me anchored in, in in the world of just I'm pretty. My feet are pretty much on the ground. But you know, it's it's one of those moments where you kind of go, okay, great. You know, because people have this perception that you know you just get offered these things at this point in your life or career or wherever, and it's just not the case. The ones worth doing are the ones worth fighting for, right? That could be a mantra for life. It just becomes that way. It's like yeah. you get offered these two or three other movies and you're like, ah, nah, the, but that's the one I want. Like, okay, well, that one you have to go. Everyone's after that one. Okay, great, cool. Put me up for it. Like, I love that. I love the challenge one. I also love that you have to earn this role. Mm. Like, there were some big names going up for this character and the studio were interested in those big names. I'd spent 10, 12 years just doing one thing a year. Like, I wasn't the actor going from job to job, and I didn't have an Instagram. I didn't do, like, I wasn't out there doing all this stuff that, you know, people, studio heads like to see, right? Yeah, yeah. And we're in a new world, a new culture of that, right? And, yeah. and that's fine, but I always like to be in this balance of, like, oh, like it's almost like you're borderline risking your career <laughs> here, boy. No, like, so at this point, I was just like, look, put me in a room. Like, I'm ready. Like, I have ideas of this character. I want to have fun with this character, right? I audition for this role. You know, you always think, listen, if they don't like what I'm doing, then that's fine. Because then that wasn't the movie for me. That wasn't the right character for me. They didn't see what I was doing, and what I was doing might have been just not right, right? Mm -hmm. So this all mm -hmm. works out in the right way. You earn it or you don't. Anyway, I got the role. Yeah, so they clearly liked it. I was very fortunate to be offered the role. And um, against all the odds, really, because I know who, who else were there and, and what that would have meant. So, so my long-winded point is, when it opens up that door, right... That door opened, and two more other doors opened because of it, right? I went to work. I had a good time. I believed in my process and the character. We had some good stuff. And the rushes got played back to the studio, and then the mm. studio, Sony, had approached me then for Craven the Hunter. So mm. that's one of those things where you kind of go, that's what happens when you start to put yourself out there. And sometimes I like that. I don't like having a pre-planned idea these things get presented to you and you either just you say yes or you say no yeah. for the most part you say no there's no role that you audition for that you, you know it didn't work out that you're like oh i really wish i'd have got that part you know as a kid yeah i'm sure when i was like oh man i really wanted to be in that one and like that messed me up like and then you realize you go and when you see the movie and you see the other actor do it you go oh no that actor really owned it like that was that act. i can't do yeah, it any other way like fair. and then you just have to open yourself up to that you know mm. 
If you could remake one of your films from the past... Oh, goodness. For whatever reason... I just don't don't even go in the past. Don't even go there. Okay. I never go backwards. Always okay. got to go, keep moving forwards. I don't even watch the films I've done in the past. Okay, fair. Your question is what? <laughs> if you had to remake... If you had to remake one, uh, yeah. Anna Karenina. Okay. Okay. Um, Do you want to have an answer to why? <laughs> she just goes, okay. Okay, oh go dear. No, no, listen, I think... I think um, you learn so much along the way, and I probably would approach that character in a different a different way. Hmm. Um, I'd just done Oliver Stone, and it went straight back to back with Joe Wright's Anna Karenina. I had been burnt out on, on, on Savages, um, which I played a drug dealer. I then went straight into this sort of, uh, this other Count Vronsky, you know, this other character. And, and um, I had a, a, a young little one. My wife was pregnant with the next one. Um, it was a really bizarre time and I think juggling all those feelings and thoughts and things like that was difficult, a difficult sort of period of time. Now, I would probably approach that character in a whole other head night. I also, you know, have reconnected with Joe Wright in a whole other way. There's a big friendship there and I think it would be a different experience. If I was ever to remake something again, it would be, or at least try something, you know, different with Joe, it would mm. be uh, it would be with him, I think, mm. probably. Just because I was born in Liverpool, I want to fangirl mm. about Nowhere Boy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is obviously where you, you know, met your lovely wife. Yes. Um, yeah. Is it true that when you read the script, you didn't know it was John Lennon right until the end when you'd finished? Uh, yeah. There was you, no clues? When did you any... read this? I th- yes. Uh, I read this story about a young boy becoming a man. It was a coming-of-age story, and really he'd, and he's been grown up with his aunt He's in search of himself, he's in search of love, and he discovers that his mother, who abandoned him very early on in his life, was actually living not too far around the corner and having this whole other life, and he had sisters, and and he couldn't quite figure it out, and then he... She introduced him to the world of rock and roll and Elvis Presley, and, you know, and it ends with John Lennon's song, Mother. And and at that point, I've already cried about three You're three right. times. And then by the end, I thought, oh, my God, that's John Lennon's story. Yeah. Um, and it kind of completed this whole new thing for me. And I was, like, just blown away. And I, I knew instantly, like... And, and and it was quite great that it was that way around because at that point, I'd already gone, I know who this person is. Mm. I know who this character is. I feel so much empathy for this character. And so, um, so then I went went hard after it. And uh, again, this was another thing that everyone was casting for. And I, you know, I went in and did my yeah. did a bit of research and um, went went for it. Did you get any messages from like Yoko Ono or Sean and Julian Lennon? Anybody or any Beatle? Yeah, actually. Um, well, Yoko and Paul both have the rights to two or three songs in the movie. We had, we shot it with with no um, with, with not knowing that we was going to have those songs. Sam actually went off to show those to Paul and Yoko separately, and uh, and they watched the movie and they right away straight after went, "We love this and we're going to give you the song." And um, so it was it was earned, you know, very yeah. much earned. And then since then, yeah, I've met. Um, I've met the family, yeah, I've met Yoko and Sean Lennon and um, and uh, Julian Lennon as well. Um, in fact, I saw them not too long ago in Los Angeles, both of them gave me a big hug, which is kind of like, 
in itself is quite insane and emotionally moving. Mm. Um, and then Paul, who has just been um, absolutely um, wonderful and generous and really lovely. And weirdly, I sort of seem to see him quite often now. Um, it's so bizarre. Cool. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah. Amazing. Aaron Taylor Johnson, thank you so much. There's only one thing left to do. Let's roll your closing credits. What movie have you watched most in your life and why? Probably True Romance. Is that so? Probably. Nice. I mean, I don't tend to watch much things at this point in my life. I don't think I've repeat watched anything for the, for a long, long time. But True Romance was definitely one that I would watch over and over again. Um, oh, sorry, and Gladiator actually is another one. Ridley Scott mm. Gladiator. Because Russell Crowe really embodies... And I just got the chance to work with Russell Crowe. Oh, nice. And he is, you know, he's a legend. So that was that was another tick. So That's Brad cool. Pitt and Russell Crowe. I mean, same year. Come on. Exactly. Winning in Come life. Come on. <laughs> no, but Gladiator, Ridley Scott's Gladiator, I mean, I think is, I think, you know, it's one of those movies, I'm sure, from most guys my age is definitely a one to grow up on but also it just yeah. is a, it is what embodies cinema in a way right it just captured so much in that and i think russell crowe really was that leading man that that uh, you don't see much of mm. these days did you tell him all that when you spoke no no no, no. we'll no. send it to him okay if you could have the piazza grande to yourself with your mates what movie would you like to watch there most right okay um <laughs> well, Oh, I thought maybe Cinema de Paradiso. It's uh, an Italian movie where it's literally like, it felt like that last night is what it felt like in a weird way, is sitting outside. Come All right, go. you're directing a movie about your life. What would right. the opening and closing scenes look like? This is where I had to do a little, write a little He's something. He's done his homework. I had to do a bit of homework, yeah. <laughs> okay. Might be a big do, fail I, right now. I do feel like I'm the, the big wig here and yeah, you're yeah. pitching me, so hit me up. The opening scene of my life. I think it starts on a classroom door and outbursts a whole classroom of school kids. And they're being sent... They've been sent out to... Uh, for the third time to learn how to line up properly. <laughs> At this point, it's beyond a joke and they're all just exhausted, these kids. And they're getting a dress down from the English teacher. But one in particular, takes his gaze, a young boy with his hands in his pockets. Take your hands out your pockets, boy. The boy doesn't. The teacher storms up face to face now. Take your hands out your pockets. The boy doesn't move, doesn't even blink. This infuriates the man. He screams now. Do it now! The boy finally takes his hands slowly out of his pockets, not breaking eye contact at all. Right, that's it. Detention. What? Why? The teacher proceeds to write on a yellow slip of paper now. For taking your hands out of your pockets. Right, yeah, he continues, with attitude. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Some of the kids start sniggering now. The boys you know, laughing from the profanity. The teacher's face goes red. You, Aaron, 
are a perfect example of an underachiever. <gasps> I feel like that was a true story. And then you cut to the titles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was a true story. Yeah, well, that's what you said of my life, right? <laughs> what you said? <laughs> okay, okay, thank that's, you. Uh, but, and then the closing scene. Oh, yeah, closing scene. Right. Um, I'm, still, I'm still writing it, you know. Nice, there's, nice. There's, there's, still, there's still some ways to go, yeah. That's it, I love it. Um, all right, well. Well, this has been a pleasure, so thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Gabby. Thanks for having <laughs> thank me you, on the podcast, on the show. Have fun editing this. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Future Spectives, the Locarno Film Festival podcast presented by UBS. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support Future Spectives with your review and subscribe on all the major podcast platforms. This series is created and produced by Brand Audio Media.